Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight. Yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you and to your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I've vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, everybody. Um, if I don't know you, my name's Sean. Um, if you've been coming the last couple of weeks, uh, you've probably saw me a little bit. Easter was a little bit different for us. Two weeks ago, Tyler Johnson preached for us. Uh, we went through some depression and anxiety stuff, which, by the way, if you, um, we have those kindred groups. There's still spots open. A few of you have said, well, I don't want to fill those groups if, if other people need room. There's still spots in most of the groups. So if you're still looking to sign up for that or maybe you have questions about being in a group uh, for the month of June, um, I'm going to try to send an email out this week so you can see me at the Connect Desk. Um, anyway, and then last week, Charles had preached, which I'm grateful you got us going in Jonah. Last week, I was with a group of about 45 to 50 people in Mexico. We were uh, building, we got the opportunity to be a part of building three houses in Mexico, which is really, really cool. Um, and it was just a good trip. It, I mean, if you ever get the opportunity to uh, not just serve people, but serve people who are clearly less fortunate uh, than you are in, in a country or in an area that is not like the area that we, most areas that we live in, um, it just brings this crazy joy that's kind of unexplainable. So anyway, um, really glad to be here. I only have one thing to tell you before we jump into Jonah, and that is next week is baby dedication. Josh is going to let you guys know again, but a child dedication. If you have not dedicated your child or you have questions about that, um, there's going to be a way that Josh is going to let you know how to do that at the end. Okay. So I'm going to pray, but before I do, I want to, uh, lean into a little bit of Jonah here because, um, I wasn't here for the set. I listened to, to Charles set it up and I thought he did an awesome job. In my opinion, probably the best sermon Charles has ever given. Um, I thought he was clear and articulated exactly what needs to, to be said, um, about Jonah, get us going. And so if you weren't here, I want to uh, kind of rehash what he said, because there's a little bit of Jonah that a little bit of tension that I live in personally, as we go through it in the four weeks, Jonah is a really unique, um, passage. And it's unfortunate that like veggie tales is, and, and felt boards have ruined it in a little bit, a little bit away because there's kind of two big categories that provide attention, at least for me to live in, um, as we get to go through this in only four weeks. One is there is a literary genius to Jonah that I wish we can honestly spend just three weeks alone on just talking about how, um, the author of Jonah weaves things together in such a way it's, it's brilliant. And then the other side is Jonah himself, right? If you read the old Testament, you're going to find with the prophets, specifically the minor prophets, it is minor prophets declaring things. The book of Jonah is the only prophet in all of the Bible that is about a prophet, not about what the prophet says. Okay. And so to try to do this in 40 minutes is really, really difficult. We, uh, we have Jason and, and Crystal Mitchell who 
are nationally known cheerleading uh, uh, coaches, and they're also judges. So they travel a lot uh, judging these cheerleading things. Now, if you or I to watch these competitions and we'd go, I don't know, that looked like a backflip and that looked like a backflip, and those were spirit fingers and those are spirit fingers. I, it all looks the same to us, right? But because they have um, spent so much time looking in and done the work when it comes to looking at cheerleading, they see things that we don't. Now, imagine me going, hey, can you explain every nuance of the cheerleading competition in 40 minutes for us. No, that'd be crazy because there's all these idiosyncrasies that they would have to point out. And so I'm going to do my best to unpack Jonah too, but there's so much there. Tim Mackey calls uh, Jonah, uh, whoever wrote the, the, the book of Jonah, which we would argue is Jonah looking back on his, his journey, but there's a lot of question as to, to that even itself. But he calls him a literary ninja. Like what, what we have is this... Um, Crazy stuff. I'm going to point out some of it to you today. But for example, if you look at Jonah 1 and 2, it matches perfectly with Jonah 3 and 4. Jonah's 1 and 2, what you're going to have is God speaks to Jonah. Jonah interacts with uh, pagans. And then again, God speaks and Jonah speaks back. There's this interaction between Jonah and God. That happens exactly in the same way in Jonah 3 and 4. It's crazy, some of the points. And and I'll give you a couple of them in uh, Jonah chapter 2. The reason that's important, just contextually, we're on the back half. We're in chapter 2, excuse me, we're in Jonah uh, chapter 2 this morning, which is uh, uh, the the first two parts of that kind of three-step narrative Charles unpacked last week. And then the other thing I want to say this as we talk about Jonah. For those of you who grew up in the church, and Charles said this last week, but it's worth saying again. Those of you who grew up in church, um, if you really read Jonah and study him, it's hard to understand why you were ever taught that he was a hero. The racism, the nationalism, and outright hatred that we will see in Jonah for a certain people group is crazy. It's crazy. And as we look at him, we almost see him in this depiction in these four chapters far closer to a villain than we do a hero. And so hopefully that turns some things upside down as we process the book of Jonah, okay? So let me pray for us. I'm going to read verse 17 of chapter 1 to kind of uh, catch us up what was done in chapter 1, and then we'll, we'll go forward. Father, thanks so much for who you are. Thanks for your goodness and grace towards us. Thanks for the book of Jonah. Thanks for allowing us to study it. But it's right now where we need um, eyes to see, and we need ears to hear. We need minds to believe. We need hearts to believe and minds to understand. Uh, we could just read the book of Jonah like anyone else and just be a weird story. But we would pray that um, it would cut us deep. It would discern our innermost thoughts. We pray, God, that you would uh, lead us into a path of righteousness and truth because of it. We love you. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So uh, let me catch you up. Verse 17 says this in chapter 1. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. That is where Charles left us off in Jonah chapter 1. And let's just be straight. Let's call it what it is. Um, It's weird. Okay? It's a really weird way to end a chapter. It feels a weird way uh, to even the story itself. So let me catch up what happens. God tells Jonah to go to a certain people group, these, uh, the, the city of Nineveh, and uh, there's a map shown, which we have. Um, he calls them to go to Nineveh, and he decides to go to not Nineveh, a place called Tarshish. Now, as he does that, I was tripping out because I was looking at the map, and I was thinking, I thought the dark parts were the land. The light parts are the land, you guys. FYI, okay? Because I was tripping when Joshua showed me this. I was like, is this the world or Mars? Where are we? Okay? 
So the dark parts are water, and, and that is, that's important because he gets on a ship to go to Tarshish, the opposite direction of Nineveh. There's a storm. The sailors act completely contrary. It's this crazy, um, very true narrative, but it's using a lot of um, uh, uh, kind of playing into symbolism, right? These sailors should be these crude people, but they end up offering sacrifices. They end up calling upon God. It's a, it's a crazy upside down deal what's going on with Jonah. He ends up getting hurled into the sea by the sailors. He's there uh, in the sea. He was sleeping. I mean, he just wanted nothing to do with what, what God wanted. It's crazy because even as you look at this map, Jonah's quite literally doing the opposite of everything that God told him to do. He was called to travel by land. He chooses to go by sea. He was traveled to go in one direction. He goes in the other. Everything's the opposite, right? And then you meet the sailors, and they're acting the exact opposite. So a prophet is acting the opposite way he should be acting, and these pagans are op- acting the opposite way they're acting. It's crazy, uh, narrative, beautiful narrative uh, poetry that's going on here and that he's in the water and God commands this giant fish to swallow Jonah. And that's where, what we just read there. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Okay. Verse one, chapter two, then Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, which is interesting because at this point, uh, the sailors have been told him to pray to his God. He's been running from God. Jonah prayed to the Lord, his God, from the belly of the fish. So we're going to stop. We're going to spend most of our time in verses 1, 3, and 9 this morning. It's going to be a big Bible study if you're new to Redemption uh, Church. So here's what I want to put in front of you. As Jonah is sitting in the water, he is in a dilemma. On the boat means a storm. In the water, he can try to tread as long as he wants, but he's running from God. And God in his sovereignty, God in his love, in his beauty, has chosen to save Jonah. By putting him in the belly of a beast. He's chosen to save Jonah by putting him in the belly of the beast. Now, um, there's a few reasons that we can say this, but here's what I want to argue. God in his love and his sovereignty will allow suffering to remind you of where your hope needs to be. And this is the depiction we get in Jonah chapter 2. He allows this to take place, according to Romans 5, to remind us of our hope. Now, there's a lot of reasons to believe this, but let me just give you um, one crazy thing inside in this. Because what becomes, as we see, is a vehicle of death. At the end of chapter 1, Jonah, like the story should end, he's in the belly of the whale three days, and then the stomach acids ate him alive, and he died. That's the way it should go. Outside of the book of Jonah that we know really well, and maybe Pinocchio, who's in a whale, outside of those two stories, it's game over for Jonah. You're in the belly of the fish. You should be done. But what the writer is doing is showing that the belly of the fish is not a way of death, but actually a saving grace and a way of life. Now, there's a lot of reasons to believe this, but check this out. This is, this one's for free. In verse 17, and the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow Jonah. I want you to look at your Bibles. In verse 17, chapter 1, that word right there, great fish, in Hebrew, is in the, the masculine. I mean, it's in the male form of fish, right? So when you see uh, pointed at great fish to swallow Jonah. Keep looking at verse 17. And Jonah now is in the belly of the fish for three days. The Hebrew writing switches from Jonah outside of the belly of the fish, the fish is in the masculine. Now inside the belly of the fish, the fish turns into feminine. 
Now, it's not a transgender fish. What's happening is, what's happening is the author's trying to communicate that this fish is not, does not have death within him, killing Jonah, but actually life. He's trying to communicate this life. Tim Keller, I thought, said it really, really well. He said, with 2020 hindsight, we can see that the most important lessons we have learned in life are the result of God's severe mercies. They are events that were difficult or even excruciating at the time, but later came to yield more good in our lives than we could have foreseen. The great fish is a perfect example of, a su- of such a severe mercy. So what I want to put in front of you is that what we believe to be this vehicle of death is actually this vehicle of hope and that God will allow terrible, terrible trials, I mean, nightmarish type trials at times to save you because he's good, because he loves you, because he loves Jonah, because he loves his people. He puts us in the belly of the beast to save us. Verse two. Jonah's praying, and we get into this crazy prayer. Amidst the, the belly of the beast, he, he writes poetry, right? I, I, just to be clear, I don't think he's writing it in the fish. This is looking back, FYI. Like he had light, uh, very little oxygen. Um, yeah, weird stuff. Which, yeah. Uh, saying, I called out to the Lord, which is interesting. That's what the sailors did if you look back in chapter 1. I called out to the Lord, the exact same uh, language in Hebrew, out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol... I cried and you heard my voice. So let's stop. Amidst God allowing us to be in the belly of the beast, there are two things from the jump in Jonah's prayer that we need to be aware of. The first one is this. Hear this. Look at it. You cast, or I'm sorry, saying, I cried out to the Lord out of my distress. Amidst suffering, amidst pain, amidst even um, punishment, as we, we go against uh, God's will, it is normal. It is good that you cry out. Tears and weeping and struggle and frustration are not just normal, but they are a proper response to Genesis 3. But what you also have to understand in this, even though you don't feel it, the second part of verse 2 is true. I called out to the Lord out of my distress. Yes, cry out. That is a normal thing. Crying out, right? Cried out in my distress. And he answered out of the belly of Sheol. I cried. You ready? And... You heard my voice. Cry out, yes and amen, that's normal. But here's the other thing you need to know. He hears you. He hears you. He hears you. He hears your cry. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Let's stop again. We're going to stop at every verse, so get used to it. Okay, here's what I want you to see in verse three, and we're going to spend a a quick minute on this. Um, This has to be said because um, statements like this are kind of almost are assumed in the church and then not really put in front of us as a culture. But hear this. God is disappointed in Jonah. Okay. Jonah has chosen to do his own thing, go his own way, quite literally. And God is displeased with Jonah in this moment. That is a very real thing. I know that you go like, no, no, that's not the God I know. No, hear me. When we choose to act against what he wants for us, he's displeased with us. Do you understand that? And that may not feel normal. That may feel a little awkward to hear. But right now, Jonah's doing what he wants. 
And God is displeased with him. And because he loves Jonah in being displeased with him and wants what's best for him, we could argue in this moment, yes, in chapter 1, the sailors threw Jonah overboard. Yes, we just read it. We can argue that it's water, H2O, going over in these waves in Jonah. Those are very real, tangible things. But Jonah makes the declaration in this moment, listen again, even though it was the sailors, you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. You ready? All of your waves and your billows passed over me. It's crazy because it feels like sometimes we think we're better parents than how God is. So if you have a kid, you love them and don't let them do whatever they want. Or else everybody else doesn't like you or your kid, right? And, and, and here's what's crazy. When they go against what you want for them, which is their best, right? If you are a loving father or mother, it's for their best. You take away the screen time, right? There's grounding, whatever. You put them in their room, the belly of the beast, right? They feel like it's just torture, right? Like you are punishing them. Listen, you do that as a good parent because you are mimicking the Imago Dei, the image of God. God is a good parent. His child has disobeyed. He is not pleased with him. And so he will punish him. Uh, You don't believe me. Okay, Hebrews chapter 10. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 7 through 11. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have an earthly fathers who we've had earthly fathers who've disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For this displea, I'm sorry, for this discipline, us ah, let's start over. For they disciplined us for a short time, as it seemed best to them. But he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness for the moment of discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it that's summing up where jonah's at right now jonah is now being punished because he has chosen to go his own way and punishment though feels painful in the moment it yields good fruit and in this moment it yields for jonah this prayer of reconciliation so so, so you you gotta see this Uh, i love how tim Mackey said this if your idea of god is that his greatest priority is to make you safe and comfortable and happy then i will save you some time please become an atheist now the reality is if you see god and he never corrects you he never puts you on the right path he, he's, in, he's looking at you in certain moments going, why are you doing this? Stop. Stop doing this. Stop. Stop doing this. Okay. I, 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 I love you. Because I love you, I'm going to do this. Be, because you want to go to Tarshish, I'm going, I want you to go to Nineveh. In my mercy, I'm getting you to Nineveh. And you're going to feel like, in Jonah's case, but for us, uh, figuratively, we're in the belly of the beast. But not only that, here's what I need you to know. The second part of this, on a dime, if we're ever in that moment of displeasing God or we're acting against his will, on a dime, if we repent, he accepts us. This is where our earthly fathers have failed us. This is where I failed my own children. But I, 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 I get upset and then I hold on to it and then I got to go back and apologize. I shouldn't have yelled. I, I, but no, 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 God is different in that way. He is perfectly righteous. 
And in that moment, when you are rebelling against God on a dime, you turn and go, God, I repent and I believe on you. There's no like, oh, 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 yeah, okay, well, you still don't get your Fortnite time back, okay? No, no, he accepts you. Right there, he accepts you. Let's keep going. Verse four. Then I said, I am driven away from your sight, yet I shall, look ag- or sh- I shall again look upon your holy temple. We're going to unpack this more in verse 9. Um, but if I was to paraphrase, paraphrase this, what I think is going on in, in Jonah's mind, this is how I would say verse 4. I almost got what I wanted, but it was away from you. Thank you. I'll look to you again. I think Jonah's prayer, what's trying to be the the poetic side of this prayer is he's trying to go, I was going towards Tarshish away from Nineveh and I almost got what I wanted and that would have been to my demise. Thank you for waking me up. I look to you again. But we'll unpack that more in verse nine. Verse five says this, the waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds or seaweeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down into the land. Those bars closed upon me forever. Let's keep going on this part. Yet you brought me up. uh, You brought up my life from the pits. Oh Lord, my God. It picks up that same kind of narrative of verse three, that it's, I I chose my own path. I did my own thing. I kept doing this. And and what we find is, um, Charles unpacked this last week. Jonah has been choosing to go down, down, down in different ways. Peter Craigie says it perfectly when he says this. Uh, the text has been depicting Jonah as descending, going down into Joppa, down into the ship, down into the depths uh, of the ship. And now finally he goes even further down into the very depths of the ocean. But not until he was all the way down, finally stripped of his own buoyant self-sufficiency. What a great play of words. His buoyant self-sufficiency was deliverance possible. It wasn't until he was in the belly of the beast, according to Peter Craigie, that, that he, he saw what he needed to see. And this is why in verse 7, it says this, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. So Jonah, we see at the end of there, verse 6 and into verse 7, Jonah, we, we finally get into his heart. Here's how I was acting, but I, I turned from that. Yet again, now I will look. I'll look upon you. I see you. I see what I've done. I'm sorry. Okay? Now, um, there's lots of things that I, I've tried to think of some examples of, of how to unpack this before we get to verses eight and nine, um, and how God chooses to allow suffering and pain to wake us up. And there's a lot of simple examples of this, right? If your idol is a house or your idol is a relationship or your idol is a child, whatever it is, um, and you lose that thing. And you come out of it on the other side. I think anyone in the room who's gone through that can go, that was terrible, but I I can see now. Let me give you an example of this. Um, I got saved my sophomore year in high school, and um, I ended up meeting my future wife my sophomore year in high school. I was playing basketball. She was a cheerleader. She was a junior. I was a sophomore. Only date older women. Um, But... Um, so, so she's, she's, uh, she ends up reaching out to me surprisingly. Um, and so we end up, uh, dating and we just act a fool, right? We're both going to church, but we continue to be sexually active and we're just making all kinds of mistakes. And, and I'm trying to fix it by like, well, we're not going to date for six months to fix it. I'm just doing all these terrible things, mistreating her. And I, believe it or not, I was a jerk. You guys, I don't know if that's, I know it's crazy. Um, Okay. But, but what ends up happening is I really start to feel like God is going, dude, you've no, like very similar to Jonah. 
we're going to Tarshish, but God is calling us to Nineveh. We keep doing what we want, keep doing what we want. So because she's a senior graduating and I'm a junior going into my senior year, she's offered to go to this thing called Master's Commission, which is part of the Assemblies of God. In short, it's a cult, but we'll get to that another time. She ends up going... She ends up going to this thing called Master's Commission, which is in San Diego for nine months. And during that period of time, again, remember I said the cult thing, you're not allowed to date uh, anybody during that period, nor talk to someone with the opposite, from the opposite sex for more than five minutes, okay? Yes, okay? Okay? And so, so anyway, we have to break up. Now, it's during this period of time that that year, still looking, my senior year in high school is where I decided to be all in for Jesus. Like, I'm the dude standing up on the picnic table preaching. I'm wearing all the witness wear. God saved MySpace in heaven, right? Um, MySpace? You guys remember MySpace? I think it's still a thing. Who knows? Um, okay? So, so I'm doing all this. I'm, I'm hanging out with all the, like the, the, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, young life. It was youth alive. Right. And these kids are so nerdy and like, I just, and it's all this, like I'm trying to be all for Jesus and my life is torn. Right. Because up to that point I was an athlete. Like, uh, so that my senior year, I'm like voted most likely to host center at live. And then also, um, also to do the pep assemblies, but I want to be all about Jesus and opposite of that. Right. So I'm like legit wearing Nigerian garbs just to change things up to, to school. Like, yeah, like I'm different. I'm a Christian, right? Like you look crazy. Um, here's, here's my point. That was a long tangent. Um, here's my point. My senior year, I, I, I lost all my friends because of that. Uh, Candace goes off to his master's commission. My best friend goes with her and my other best friend go with her. Right. And then, uh, one of my other best friends goes to chef school, uh, culinary school in San Francisco. They are all seniors. They all leave. And so I'm, I'm left by myself. And so for a year, every weekend, I don't go to my prom. I don't go to my homecoming, my senior year. I go out to this field because the family that adopted me, um, lived right next to a school. I go out to this field and I just play my guitar. I throw my guitar. I cuss at God. I said things to God that year I could never say. Like, I was so mad at God. At one point, I tried to call Candace, and, uh, and my best friend answered. And he said, dude, you can't talk to Candace anymore. My best friend answered. And then one of my other friends who was a senior with me said, yeah, they're probably having sex. And, like, just not helping the cause at all, right? So I'm like, I'm so struggling. I'm in this. And here I am at the end of my senior year. I feel like, okay, Candace, I wasn't, I'm not supposed to date her. I messed that whole deal up. And I just gave everything that I was and everything that I am to God and said, okay, I'm all in. At the end of my senior year, I go to what is Eric and Uche's graduation because they went to master's commission with Candace. And I see her and it's like, I'm, I know I'm going to see her. It's, I haven't talked to her in a year and I see her and I, listen, I know I've had those charismatic roots before. And so I've said things, but to this day, I believe God said this to me. Um, he said, you were not supposed to marry the Candace before, but you see her, you're to marry that Candace. And, and I just felt like I'm, I've, I, I have repented. I have believed and I've leaned on Jesus. I'm looking to him. He's guiding me. If I don't get Candace, that's, but he's what's most important. And in the end, right? God changed her and I and brought us to where we needed to be. But hear me, I had to go through the belly of the beast. And so, so I can look back on that year and you can go, well, that's not that bad. Maybe for you, that's cancer. Maybe for that's you, that's a loss of a family member. Maybe for, for you, that's um, honestly a loss that would be good. Maybe a loss of job or uh, you choosing to do areas of sin and God completely removing that. Whatever feels like hell, 
whatever feels like the, the belly of the beast, because God loves you, he has you there. And it doesn't mean he loves suffering. It doesn't mean he rejoices in evil. And there's a sovereignty piece that we've preached and talked through a million different times, but he uses these trials for your good and you want out of the belly of the beast. But what's crazy is nowhere in this prayer does Jonah ask for that. He doesn't say, get me out of here, God. He says, I'm in, I'm all in. Which leads us to verses eight and nine. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Um, Verse 8 is a really dense uh, Hebrew statement. So I'm going to try to do my best to sum up what what I think it's saying. Um, Humans forfeit hope and real love when we pursue our self-happiness. When we pursue what we want, when we pursue what we think is best, when we pursue vain idols, when we pursue fake facades, when I want this, when all I wanted is to have sex with, with Candace at that time, that's what I wanted. It was not for my good. When I wanted to go in this direction, it was not for my good. I gave up hope and love to pursue this vanity. And so those who pursue those things, their self-happiness, what I want, my comfort, my ways, my philosophies, my ideas, my picture of greatness. When I pursue those things, I give up hope and real love. And, and, and what Jonah does is he turns this on its head and says this. And what's crazy is in this moment, he should be declaring this exact thing to Nineveh. Nineveh is a, a place where people are pursuing what they want. It's a modge podge of idolatry where everyone is doing what they want, how they want. He should be pursue, or, or be saying these exact same things in Nineveh. You're pursuing vain idols, but stop going for those things. They're fake. They're going to let you down. Don't you see this yet? I'm in the belly of the whale because I've done this. That's what he should be saying to Nineveh. And, he, and in, in the exact opposite direction, as he makes this declaration, he goes, which again, he should be saying to Nineveh is, it's not there. It's with the Lord. You want joy? You want eternal security? You want to know that you're safe, protected? It's not with you and your ideas of happiness and comfort. That may feel right in the moment, but it's, the, it's only going to lead to the belly of the beast. It's only with the Lord. And this is what Jonah declares. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. I'm so I'm mindful of Psalm 3, 8, from the Lord comes deliverance. Psalm 118, 14, God has become my salvation. Revelation chapter 7, verse 10, listen to this. After this, I saw a vast crowd, too great to count, from every nation and tribe and people and language, standing in front of the throne before the Lamb. They were clothed in the white robes and held palm branches in their hands, and they were shouting with a great roar. Stop. We like to talk about this as believers, right? We talk about this as believers. Uh, One day, every tribe and nation and tongue is going to be declaring, be praising, be worshiping Jesus Christ. In the midst of worshiping the triune God, 
Listen to the declaration that is being made. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. It doesn't come from vain idols. Salvation doesn't come from your way, what you seem or deem as happiness and comfort. No, no, no. It comes from God and God alone. And hear me, I'm talking here and eternally. Because the belly of the beast may be terrible at times, but there's something in the back of Jonah's mind that all he needs to do is cry out to God. And that's a joy your pagan friends don't have. They have to be told about that joy. Salvation belongs to our God. Listen to Keller. I'm using Keller as a a commentary for the book of Jonah. So that's why I'm quoting him as much as I am. Listen to what he says. Salvation comes only from the Lord in verse nine. Some have called this text the central verse of the scriptures, or at least it expresses with great economy of language, the main point of the entire Bible. It says literally that salvation is of the Lord. And the prepositional phrase denotes possession. Salvation belongs to God alone, to to no one else. If someone is saved, it is wholly God's doing. It is not a matter of God saving you partly or you saving yourself partly. No, God saves us. We do not and cannot save ourselves. So listen, this isn't just my reform soapbox. We're reminded of this verse nine right here. It has to be said. Let me just rattle off some verses to remind you why you Christians in the room, if you're not a Christian, give me grace. Believers in the room, let me remind you why you are where you are. In case you have forgotten that it wasn't you and you decided to go to Tarshish, maybe you did some right things the wrong way. No, 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 no. You, you the whole time were kicking and screaming in the opposite direction and God saved you. Let me prove it to you. In Deuteronomy 29, four, the Lord has not given you a heart to, or the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. He decides in this moment, I didn't give them a heart to believe. I didn't give them eyes to see. I didn't give them ears to hear. But you ready for this? In John chapter 1 verses 12 and 13. He gave the right to become children of God. In chapter 6, verse 44, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. No one can come to me unless he was granted, unless it was granted to him by the Father. In Romans 9, 16, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. In Acts 16, 14, it's talking about this woman, Lydia, who sells these purple goods. It says the Lord opened Lydia's heart to pay attention to what Paul was saying. Lydia wasn't going, I'm working with this. I want to believe. No, no, no. God opened her heart to believe in Acts or in, in uh, Ephesians chapter two, verses eight and nine. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Jonah does not will himself to pray this. Jonah does not decide to go to uh, Nineveh, like jolly Skippy. I'm just doing exactly what I'm going to do. Jonah is a depiction of us and our salvation. We did not, we cannot, we would have not saved ourselves. Only God saved us. So the timeline is not, I believed on God and now I have a new heart. No, 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 no. God has given you a new heart and that's why you believed on God. That's grace. That's real, gritty, confusing grace. Frustrating. Why this, why that type of grace? God holds salvation. He opened Lydia's heart. He continues to press upon us that it is not by us in Ephesians 2. Now that's true. You ready for this? Because now I got to start winding down. It's been like a year since I've preached. So, um, got a lot to say. 
with that being true, you ready? God holds salvation. Salvation belongs to God. It's all his. It's, it's him from the jump. It's him to the end. It's all him. You ready? Here's, here's what, what, what the word of God says about this salvation to you and I. In 1 Timothy 2, 4, God desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. In Ezekiel 18, 13, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? God holds salvation. He's in charge of salvation. It is his. He possesses it. And he desires to give it away. He wants you to have it. And so where I want to finish is ask the million dollar question. Why don't we want it? Why? Why are we so like Jonah? Why are we constantly on our way to Tarshish? Why? What's happening? What what, what steps are we taking? What mind games are we playing? What's going on? I think there are two things to finish us out. The first thing is, um, we don't think we need to be saved. Um, Let me read something to you from J.I. Packer. We are taught that our problem is a lack of self-esteem. That we live with too much shame and self-incrimination. In addition, we are told all moral standards and so, uh, 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 socially constructed. I'm sorry, all moral standards are socially constructed and relative. So no one has the right to make you feel guilty. You must determine your right or wrong for yourself. In a society dominated by such belief, the Bible's persistent message that we are guilty sinners comes across as oppressive, if not evil and dangerous. These modern cultural themes make the offer of grace unnecessary, even an insult. Jonah's prayer, however, recognized that you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, verse 3. Jonah knew that there was a divine justice and that he deserved it. We're not in the days of Billy Graham anymore where someone can stand up and go, you know, you're a sinner. No, no, no. Our culture ain't nobody sinners. And Jonah breaks that paradigm down and puts in front of us. I'm constantly going to Tarshish. I'm constantly going to Tarshish. I'm always going in the opposite direction. I admit, I think salvation is over there. Let me declare salvation belongs to you. Which leads to the second thing of why I would argue, not just that we don't need saving, but why Uh, we miss it ultimately, is we still believe that happiness truly lies in Tarshish. The the big problem is that um, when I say God or Jesus Christ provides joy, we actually don't believe that. I mean, we'll say we believe it, like it's there, it's, it's here, but it's like, yeah, but this other thing is so much better. It's so much more fun uh, to that. Um, I want to leave you with the words of Jesus because where Jonah is a, a whisper on the idea of salvation, Jesus is the shout. And, and um, by all intents and purposes, what we have with, with Jonah is just an archetype. Jesus is the real Jonah. And so um, where you pursue Tarshish, Tarshish, Jonah pursued Nineveh and still ended up in the belly of the beast. Like Jesus did all the right things as a right prophet, but he still suffered all the consequences as a bad prophet. 
And so what we find in, in Jonah is this semblance, this shadow of someone who's actually to come, who really is offering salvation. Let me remind you of, of, of uh, Revelation chapter 7 again. Remember all those people are standing around? Hear this. This is important. All these people are standing around. In verse 9, they were clothed with white robes and held palm branches in their hands. And they were shouting with a great roar, salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne and from the Lamb. Do you know who the Lamb is? That's Jesus. Jesus' sacrifice ends up getting us there. Hear me. Look at at this. Let me read it again. Salvation comes from our God who sits on the throne. And from the Lamb, Jesus provides this. So let me leave you with the words of Jesus that offers you salvation to stop pursuing in this, this direction. This is what Jesus says to the people of Israel in the same way he would say it to Jonah. In the same way he is saying it to Israel here. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her uh, brood under her wings, and you were not willing. Let's pray. Lord, it's the last part of that that um, I pray over our congregation that's we still believe Tarshish is better. And, um, and our prayer is that we would hear the words of Jesus there, that your people, while you were here on the earth, you wanted to gather them together. You knew where true protection lied within yourself. You knew where joy lied within yourself. And, and they were not willing. And it's frustrating because we see them With hindsight, we see the mistakes, we see them going into the belly of the beast, and yet we too are not willing. We're not willing, and we're sorry. Like Jonah, we declare, yet we will look to your holy temple. We will look where salvation comes from. We will look to you because it belongs to you. We will not be saved by any other name under heaven besides Jesus Christ, and we declare that. We know that we will continue to struggle. We know we will continue to fall. We will know we will continue to believe that Tarshish is a better city to go to than Nineveh. But we do not want to be outside of your will. In this moment, we pray, God, help us. Get us to Nineveh. Through the belly of the beast, get us to Nineveh. However you see fit, get us to Nineveh. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.